in the dead of night chapter twenty three of the yukon trail by william mcleod rain this librivox recording is in the public domain while kusiak slept that night the wind shifted it came roaring across the range and drove before it great scudding clouds heavily laden with sleety snow the howling storm snuffed out the moonlight as if it had been a tallow dip and fought and screamed around the peaks whirling down the gulches with the fury of a blizzard from dark till dawn the roar of the wind filled the night before morning heavy drifts had wiped out the roads and sheeted the town in virgin white unbroken by trails or furrows with the coming of daylight the tempest abated kusiak got into its working clothes and dug itself out from the heavy blanket of white that had tucked it in by noon the business of the town was under way again that which would have demoralized the activities of a southern city made little difference to these arctic circle dwellers roads were cleared paths shoveled stores opened children in parkas and fur coats trooped to school and studied through the short afternoon by the aid of electric light dusk fell early and with it came a scatter of more snow mrs selfridge gave a dinner dance at the club that night and her guest came in furs of great variety and much value the hostess outdid herself to make the affair the most elaborate of the season wally had brought the favors in from seattle and also the wines nobody in kusiak of any social importance was omitted from the list of invited except gordon elliott even the grumpy old cashier of macdonald's bank an old bachelor who lived by himself in rooms behind those in which the banking was done was persuaded to break his custom and appear in a rusty old dress suit of the vintage of ninety-five the grizzled cashier his name was robert milton left the clubhouse early for his rooms it was snowing but the wind had died down contrary to his custom he had taken two or three glasses of wine his brain was excited so that he knew he could not sleep he decided to read don quixote by the stove for an hour or two the heat and the reading together would make him drowsy arrived at the bank he let himself into his rooms and locked the door he stooped to open the draft of the stove when a sound stopped him halfway the cashier stood rigid still crouched waiting for a repetition of the noise it came once more the low dull rasping of a file shivers ran down the spine of milton and up the back of his head to the roots of his hair somebody was in the bank at two o'clock in the morning with tools for burglary he was a scholarly old fellow brought up in new england and cast out to the uttermost frontier by the malign tragedy of poverty adventure offered no appeal to him his soul quaked as he waited with slack feeble muscles upon the discovery that only a locked door stood between him and violent ruffians but though his knees trembled beneath him and the sickness of fear was gripping his heart robert milton had in him the dynamic spark that makes a man he tiptoed to his desk and with shaking fingers gripped the revolver that lay in a drawer the cashier stood there for a moment moistening his dry lips with his tongue and trying to swallow the lump that rose to his throat and threatened to stop his breathing he braced himself for the plunge then slowly trod across the room to the inner locked door the palsied fingers of his left hand could scarce turn the key 
It seemed to him that the night was alive with the noise he made in turning the lock and opening the door. The hinges grated, and the floor squeaked beneath the fall of his foot as he stood at the threshold. Two men were in front of the wire grating which protected the big safe that filled the alcove to the right. One held a file, and the other a candle. Their blank, masked faces were turned toward Milton, and each of them covered him with a weapon. "'What are you doing here?' quavered the cashier. "'Drop that gun,' came the low, sharp command from one of them. Under the menace of their revolvers the heart of Milton pumped water instead of blood. The strength oozed out of him. His body swayed, and he shut his eyes. A hand groped for the casement of the door to steady him. "'Drop it, quick!' Some old ancestral instinct in the bank cashier rose out of his panic to destroy him. He wanted to lie down quietly in a faint, but his mind asserted its mastery over the weakling body. In spite of his terror, of his flaccid will, he had to keep the faith. He was guardian of the bank funds. At all costs, he must protect them. His forearm came up with a jerk. Two shots rang out almost together. The cashier sagged back against the wall and slowly slid to the floor. The guests of Mrs. Selfridge danced well into the small hours. The California champagne that Wally had brought in stimulated a gaiety that was balm to his wife's soul. She wanted her dinner dance to be smart, to have the atmosphere she had found in the New York cabarets. If everybody talked at once, she felt they were having a good time. If nobody listened to anybody else, it proved that the affair was a screaming success. Mrs. Wally was satisfied as she bade her guests goodbye and saw them pass into the heavy snow that was again falling. They all assured her that there had not been so hilarious a party in Kusiak. One old-timer, a trifle lit up by reason of too much hospitality, phrased his enjoyment a little awkwardly. It's been great, Mrs. Selfridge. Nothing like it since the days of the open dance hall. Mrs. Mallory hastily suppressed an internal smile and stepped into the breach. How do you do it? she asked her hostess enviously. My dear, if you say it was a success, what else could one say? Genevieve Mallory always preferred to tell the truth when it would do just as well. Now it did better, since it contributed to her own ironic sense of amusement. MacDonald had once told her that Mrs. Selfridge made him think of the saying, Monkey sees, monkey does. The effervescent little woman had never had an original idea in her life. Most of those who had been at the dance slept late. They were oblivious of the fact that the storm had quickened again into a howling gale. Nor did they know the two bits of news that were passing up and down the main street and being telephoned from house to house. One of the items was that the stage for Katma had failed to reach the roadhouse at Smith's Crossing. The message had come over the long-distance telephone early in the morning. The keeper of the roadhouse added his private fears that the stage, crawling up the divide as the blizzard swept down, must have gone astray and its occupants perished. The second bit of news was local. For the first time since Robert Milton had been cashier, the bank had failed to open on the dot. The snow had not been cleared from the walk in front, and no smoke was pouring from the chimney of the building. End of chapter 23